0: Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Hello and welcome to the Voice of the Church. I'm Pastor Ryan Swale. It's good to be with you again We've been uh, looking at the Song of Songs. Last week, we saw the bride's rejection of the king and then her reflection on his glory. Uh, the next part of the song, in, in chapter 6, describes the way that he continues to see her, even in her sin. I'll begin uh, reading it, verse 4. He says, "'You are beautiful as Tirzah, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners.'" Turn your eyes away from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. Not one of them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranates behind your veil. There are sixty queens and eighty concubines, virgin without number. But my dove, my perfect one, is the only one the only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. The daughters saw her and called her blessed. Queens and concubines also, and they praised her. Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? A few months back, I uh, preached this passage for Thanksgiving in the church that I pastor as Uh, The Song of Songs is is a book not only about marriage, but about the eternal marriage of Christ and his bride. And in the context of the song, Christ, the Davidic king, is here singing over his bride in the midst of her sin from the previous chapter. We see in Song of Songs 6 what Christ thinks of his bride. He sees her as radiant. And, And in a time where the church is in many places divided divided over COVID, divided over race matters, divided over politics. And in the midst of her division does not always look beautiful. It's good for us to hear those words of the king. And as we hear of the radiant bride, to be thankful for the radiant brides. I want to point out three things in this passage. First, the supremacy of the bride's beauty. Second, the source of the bride's beauty. And last, the significance of her beauty. Now, first, the supremacy. We see that she is uniquely beautiful. She's compared to the most beautiful cities, as beautiful as Tirzah, which uh, means beautiful or, or pleasant. It would later be, for a time, the capital of the northern kingdom and uh, was a city worthy of its name. It was a place of beauty. And Jerusalem, likewise, suggests beauty. That's the place where God made his name dwell, the place where his kingdom on earth was centered, whose name meant habitation of peace. So he's naming the most beautiful, most peaceful and serene, most highly significant places he can think of and saying, that's how beautiful you are. He's describing her in terms of the kingdom and promised land, both north and south, and saying, you're as beautiful as the land of promise, which he goes on to describe in verses five to seven as he uses the the fertile land metaphors, your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead, meaning her body is like a fertile land sustaining life. That's why her teeth are described not only as a flock of sheep, but a flock of sheep where none of them are barren and each bears twins. She is a land of blessing and fertility. She's like a pomegranate, again, suggesting fruitfulness, suggesting beauty and delight. And that was also mentioned uh, back in, in chapter four on the wedding night, where it said that her temples were like a piece of pomegranate behind her veil. And as he he says the same thing again here, it's a reference back to the wedding day. The veil that he mentions here is the same veil she wore in chapter 4. He's saying, you are as lovely and delightful as you were on our wedding day when I said you're like the land of promise. That's the significance of the veil. That's the meaning of all this repeated imagery from chapter 4. Just as he delighted in her on their wedding night, he continues to do so. And he ascribes to her the most meaningful imagery he can think of, the most beautiful cities in both the north and the south, a land teeming with fruitfulness like the blessing of God manifest in fields supporting life. This is promised land imagery, the land that is set apart as uniquely uh, under the blessing of God. And this theme of supreme beauty is is emphasized in verses 8 and 9 where he tells her, She's one of a kind. He tells her he would choose her over any other. He says, 60 queens and 80 concubines of virgins without number, but you are my perfect one, the only one, who the daughters of the kingdom call blessed and queens and concubines praise. Her beauty is supreme. And he's overwhelmed, verse 5. This is how the son of David speaks of his brides. The same bride who in chapter 5 refused him. The same bride who is so sinful and, and leaves him out in the cold. Leaving him out of her worship as we often do. Leaving him out of her witness as we so often have in our behavior in this last year. We as the church are often very unlovable. And yet here the son of David showers his bride with words of affection. She has treated him with coldness. He who's chief among 10,000, who all the women rejoice in, in chapter 1. He's the king, and she, the sun-tent country girl of 1, verse 6, unworthy of his affection. But he is condescended to her in love, and yet she refuses him. Yet somehow, he still calls her beautiful. And he gives the same fundamental assessment of her as he did in chapter 4. His assessment of her in her best moments remains unchanged in her worst. That's what we have when we compare chapter uh, 6 and chapter 4. The fact that verses 5, 6, and 7 are essentially word-for-word repetition of chapter 4 is significant because it means despite her sin in chapter 5, his fundamental assessment of her is unchanged. When he emphasizes the veil of their wedding day, it's like he's saying, you're as beautiful as the day we said I do. My love for you hasn't changed in the least. He doesn't reject her like she did, but he welcomes her back with words of affection. And again, we could, we could talk about how uh, in this description of the kind of love that, that the son of David has for his bride, we learn how a, a husband should treat his wife not be becoming cold and distant when she displeases him. But beyond just that, this also teaches us about Christ's gracious heart. It teaches us about his objective declaration of our justification that is unchanged despite our sin. It teaches us also that everything that is beautiful and praiseworthy within us is not native to ourselves. The bride's beauty is not a natural or native beauty. The fact that the son of David speaks of his bride in this way is not because of anything inside of her, but as we see throughout this passage, it's because of her relation to him. In verse four, when it says that she's as lovely as Jerusalem, what is Jerusalem? But the place where God dwells, the place where he makes his dwelling among his people in the temple where their sins are atoned for. The reason she's as beautiful as Zion is because the God of Zion dwells in her temple, taking away her sin and uniting her to himself. Her beauty is only by virtue of his grace. This passage has grace alone written all over it. Where he showers her with his love and despite her unloveliness... His beauty, which which belongs natively to him alone, becomes hers. That's what we see in verse 10. It says, Who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun? Well, the moon is simply the reflected brightness of the sun. And as she is united to the sun of righteousness, his glory emanates from her. His radiance is the source of hers. She is not naturally bright. She is dark from sin. 1 verse 6. But united the king radiates his beauty. Like Moses, whose face reflected God's glory, the church reflects the bridegroom's beauty. The same beauty that was described in 5 verses 10 to 16 of the king is now reflected in her. And that is the church's glory. Reflected beauty beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's the church's glory. Despite our sin, we are beautiful in the beloved. Revelation 12 describes this when it speaks of the church as a woman clothed with the sun, the moon, under her feet. John describes the church with the language of Song of Songs 6.10. Like the cosmic bride of the song, the woman in Revelation 12 shines with the reflected brightness of divine glory. She is not the sun, but is radiant with its brightness. The source of her beauty being the sun of righteousness into which she will one day be fully conformed when, as Matthew 13 says, she will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of her father. The source of her beauty is the king. We see that also in, in, in even verse 13, where her identity is wrapped up in the king. She's called the Shulamite. Well, that's the, the feminine form of Solomon's own name. He's chosen to refer to her in this way because she derives her identity from the king to whom she's united. I am my beloved's. I belong to him. My identity is found in belonging to him. Even as we're called Christians, we find our identity in belonging to Christ, whose celestial beauty and glory radiates from us. The source of our beauty is our union with the bridegroom. The significance of this is that the bride of Christ then, despite her sin, is worthy of praise. That's why the daughters, the daughters of Zion, professors in Christ, call her blessed. Because despite her sin, she is lovely in Christ. Which means there is nothing commendable about abhorring the church. But those who love the lamb must love the bride. She is fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as an army with banners. And her reflected beauty for which we give thanks that Christ has deigned to dwell with his people, to love us despite our flaws, and to make us, little by little, beautiful in him. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and give you a love for his church.